we're back on What the Funk with my good friend, Nicole Nixon. How you doing, Nicole? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is fun to do this with you over video since truly you were the first person that convinced me to start doing more video. And we're a huge supporter mm-hmm. when we were working together at W Energy Software of creating content and, and creating a new brand and uh, getting in front of a camera, which is not natural for everybody at first, but I loved it. And this was in a kind of a strange time. It was during COVID. And of course, salespeople, good salespeople are big networkers. They like to get out in front of people. Well, that was completely stripped away. So then what? How do you still find a way to differentiate versus just being on phone calls and emails and video calls? And you introduced me to Vidyard, which I still use and my team still uses and has a lot of fun functionality, especially for a free app. So I want to jump into content and, and everything that you do and how COVID had sort of changed the marketing landscape, since that's your area of expertise. But before we get into all that, Nicole Nixon, tell the listeners of What the Funk, who are you? (laughs) I am a marketer, but I really like to say that I love helping people tell their story. So I love working with sales teams, um, of course, marketing But right now, um, I am working with a partner. I'm with Capital Raise Agency, and we are helping companies tell their story to get investors and raise capital. So that's really fun because I work with a lot of different brands, some of which are more established than others. Um, My heart beats for companies and people that have it all in their head, but maybe it's sort of a blank canvas to the world and kind of helping them put the pieces together and and tell that story. Um, And that becomes really fun. So I do have experience in oil and gas. Like you said, we worked at W together. That's really where I like fell in love with the industry. Mm. Um, I learned so much. Um, I think that the people in the industry are really like just solid gold. So it was such an interesting time during COVID to work in oil and gas. You kind of got this crash course um, of what it's like to be in that industry and sort of the ups and downs. And then prior to that, I worked in SaaS. So a lot of different things, but I like to move around and shift gears. And it really teaches me how marketing should change a lot. Um, sometimes when you go from industry to industry, you need to change tactics based on who you're trying to talk to. Do you, do you think that your experience working in SaaS and other industries before coming into oil and gas gave you a different perspective on where we were? And I already sort of know the answer, but one of the things that you said to me in 2020 that stood out was you're like, oh my God, like nobody uses video here. You guys don't send like video <laughs> thank yous to your prospects after meetings. I'm like, oh, you're like, oh, this is actually very common in other industries. So I'm curious what that transition was kind of like. I I think people view probably accurately oil and gas is a little bit more traditional, possibly a little bit more buttoned up. And then here you are coming in saying, no, you got to get behind the camera. We got to do video. We got to send like creative differentiating content to people. So tell me a little bit about how your background working in SaaS and then coming into oil and gas like gave you a much different perspective on marketing. 
Yeah. So with SaaS, I was really focused too on like the, who the consumer was, because a lot of it was, you know, like B to C. So we're talking about like, who are these people? Like, what are they, where do they want to engage with us? Or where do they even like go to get entertained or look at content? And so coming to oil and gas, first of all, a lot of stuff was sort of Greek to me. I really had to learn quickly, like, business and what's upstream versus midstream. But then more than that, looking at what everyone was doing, it felt really kind of stale to me or boring. Mm. Um, And then when I started going to oil and gas events and meeting people and really learning about the industry, I found it really fascinating. A lot of myths got debunked for me and I was kind of perplexed, like how come this is the first time I'm really hearing about how fascinating and valuable this industry is? Um, I was, I was really like put back by that. And I started really looking at what we were doing as a company and other oil and gas companies. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is really boring. It's really dry. And the people that I'm meeting at events are really fun and people are people. And so I felt like oil and gas was totally missing an opportunity to really like engage with the people that are in that industry. Right. So that was the biggest thing for me is like, people are people, like, who are we actually talking to? And when we go to these events, I was like, man, like, they're fun. They've got a lot of knowledge. They've been in the industry for a long time. They're super integrated in the network. Um, They are pretty relaxed, you know, and um, we're not talking to them like that. We are so buttoned up. Yeah, you, you can't even understand what some of the content is really saying, and then we're missing a huge opportunity for people who are younger, that are getting out of school, that are getting into first jobs, second jobs. And one of the people on our team, on my team, was um, a girl that was straight out of college, and she yeah. came, you know, on board, graphic designer, super fun, and she even said, "Wow, like I can't believe, like I didn't know this," you know. And so to be able to kind of infuse this sort of um, not just youthfulness, but really talking to people more conversationally and doing things that were fun, I think makes such a big difference, especially for the oil and gas industry, where I found that most folks in that industry that wanted to engage with that content had such a good sense of humor and no content in oil and gas really had that except for maybe a couple folks that played in that space. And here's the, I love all that, but here, here's the thing about marketing in oil and gas. So the term marketing literally in oil and gas means the person at the oil and gas company that sells their oil and gas to a purchaser. Yeah. So the the terminology even as a whole in terms of how oil and gas thinks about it, I think of that as sales, right? I don't think of that as marketing, right? What are you what are you marketing? There's always a buyer. So marketing has never really been from the traditional sense of marketing the same thing in oil and gas. That's we have a product that we produced and I I need to find somebody to sell this to, but you will always have a buyer. And in tech it's different right? You're, you're trying to create and cultivate emotion in your brand. You're trying to create this human connection. And that's just really foreign in oil and gas because there's always demand for the product. And, and to me, that's like, it took right. me a while to do that. 
where people were like, oh yeah, we have a marketing group. I was like, really? Like to do commercials or like, no, it's just like someone who sells our oil to a first purchaser. I'm like, that's not marketing. I, I think of marketing like Mad Men, you know, like we're, we're going yeah. in and doing these like really yeah. fun pitches and wearing suits on wall street and trying to get people to think differently. <laughs> um, and that's not the case in oil and gas. So like that's deeply rooted in terms of like what marketing is. It's not the same as what it's like in the rest of the world. Yeah. And it's, it's shifted it's a lot. And I think that yeah. you really took to digital wildcatters right away. I even remember, I think it was Yusuf Chowdhury to announce his podcast. He did a rap for oil money. And it was like, yeah. it was like a 30 second rap to introduce this thing. And I remember you hitting me up and you're like, oh my God, I love everything that these digital wildcatters guys are doing. Like they just built a freaking rap to like announce a podcast. Yeah. And that to many is like, whoa, these guys are so far out there. But to you, you're like, this is what you do. Like this is real marketing. This is content creation. This is how you brand themselves. And I think that Digital Wildcatters has done an awesome job of injecting that youthfulness and that like mm-hmm. challenge to the social norms. And it's part of what they were pushing me for so long to do a podcast. And I was like, about what? And they're like, it just, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like the key is it helps you build your persona. It allows you to connect with more people. And it starts to shift from this like buttoned up formal industry that we're in and actually makes people feel more comfortable if you go in with a hat on backwards and you talk into a microphone and you get to know people as people because otherwise we just sort of feel like suits. So they had a mission to challenge this and they continue to lean into that. And and I love it. Talk to me a little bit about um, when you were first sort of exposed to digital wildcatters. Like, what was it about them that you felt like a real kinship and connection to as a marketer? Yeah. So one of the things, like, I remember when I heard that rap intro to that podcast and I was like, this is great because if this podcast, like if someone just laid out what the content was, I would be like, I'm never listening to that. Right. <laughs> I listen to stuff like Caller Daddy, Daddy Squat, right. And podcasts that will have like maybe a rap intro and like really like playful stuff. Right. And so when I heard that and I started to listen to some of the podcasts there, I was like, this makes all the difference when you infuse that content in a way that is conversational and not just conversational, but makes it feel not like not intimidating. One of the like Mm. gripes that I've always had was the content feels intimidating or condescending. Like what makes you think that like people are going to want to listen to that? You're going to have a very like niche audience. Right. And so, um, I just really loved that about them. And I remember thinking when they're looking at their podcast collection, this is great, right? This is how you make really good content is that you say, you don't think about, and this is what oil and gas, I think it's wrong sometimes. And other companies, they think really hard on like, how what's so great about us and what do we want to say versus like just thinking about what kind of content do we want to create? How cool would it be to create a podcast about this type of content, but make it just like really fun and self-deprecating and our audience will find us like the people that want to hear that will find us. And then they're going to be like those loyal, like lifetime listeners, which is what brands like 
you look at some podcasts like Call Her Daddy and like her Alex Cooper's following, right? Oh my and God. so you start creating, con- yeah, it's amazing. Like you start creating content that you're like, I'm going to create this because I think there's a place for it. I think this is a message that needs to be said in this way. And we're not going to try to be something we're not. And our people are going to find us. And that's what happened with digital wildcatters, like love them or hate them, you know, and I love what they're doing, but that's what they did. And it attracted the audience. And now they have a growing audience, a growing community, rather. It's not even an audience. It's a community which is even harder to do. A lot of companies are like, they speak to the audience and all that, but to create a community around that brand is really difficult to do, especially one that is so rooted, so loyal. um, And I think teaches their community, like how to market by doing what they're doing. Um, They kind of lead that by example, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that, that is, there, there's so much there that I love. And I, I want to talk about Call Her Daddy for a second. So uh, for people that don't know, Call Her Daddy was like one of the most downloaded podcasts. Barstool Sports acquired them. They had kind of a crazy falling out thing. I think they were acquired by Spotify. And Alex Cooper has tons of money now and a massive following. When it came on Barstool, which is more of like a bro site that I've been reading for the last 15 years. It came out of Boston and, and I always loved it, right? The, the authenticity is, is very real um, within Barstool. They don't, they don't mince words. But when I saw Call Her Daddy come out, I was like, who's listening to this? You know what I mean? Like this doesn't resonate with me at all. Like I'm not the target demographic, but then I started following it on Instagram and it was like the 19 year old girls that live in my neighborhood right? And 30-year-old women and and 13-year-old girls. And they're the ones that are liking it. They're the ones that are resharing stuff. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, just because I don't get it, that doesn't mean that everyone doesn't get it. Right. And clearly, their authenticity really played well with certain demographics and made it one of the most downloaded podcasts, despite the fact that it came from like a bro site, um, which is really fascinating. Yeah. I think there'll be some interesting case studies about that particular podcast and the monetization of it. Because I do think a lot of people don't really understand like, well, why is this so popular? It's like, well, just because you don't resonate with it, that doesn't mean that others don't resonate with it. It actually means something to them. And same thing with a podcast like this. Like I've had my parents like listen to this podcast. They're like, we just don't get it. Like it's so industry centric. Then you use these terms and like some of your episodes where you just go in and you talk about life and you talk about your upbringing or you talk about sports, we can get behind that. But then you go into these like very specific oil and gas related things and we're completely lost and we tune out and we turn it off. Like, right. But that's sort of the point, right? The the best content creation is fairly niche, hits a specific audience that is extremely loyal and it's important to lean into that. Like as much as I would love to talk about other things, like I know who's listening to this. I know what the following is and where they obtain value from it. And, and I think Digital Wildcatters understands that too. While they've used the term energy and they've you know, branched into Bitcoin a little bit, it's still an oil and gas marketing content creation, creative organization. And, and that's where their roots are. And where they're always going to have that deepest following because there's a real need for it. And I didn't even know if there was a real need for it when they decided to build the company. But clearly, 
<laughs> there is. You go to their energy tech nights and it's young, it's vibrant, it's energetic. There's no suits. There's no ties. There's no jackets. Yeah. It's so much different from any other event we went to that I've ever been to. And I love it. I love it. I like the NAPES too. I like those conferences. I can get dressed up. No big deal. But the digital wildcatter stuff that they do is like, that's my core. You know what I mean? Like I could even probably say that digital wildcatters allowed me to be more authentically myself because it allowed me to, to be comfortable in who I really was and not have to sort of play a role that I thought people wanted to perceive. The most positive things that have happened in my career have happened since I leaned into the authenticity of wearing hats and wearing hoodies and being more like a Chuck Yates type than having to conform to social norms. And that is an amazing attribute of what they've created, whether they realize it or not, it just allows a lot of people to feel comfortable. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I really try to lean into that, like with marketing too, because it's no small thing to be like, you know, I, my most authentic self, right? Because I think for so long, and even with some companies, like marketing is such like, there's all this, you know, smoke and mirrors and, you know, like behind the curtain type stuff. And over the past few years, especially with like social, I think that like people are just too smart for that now. Right. And with the way that social is like ends can get like, I mean, demolished, right. In the matter of like hours, you know, with the wrong campaign, like the wrong message. Um, And I think that we really underestimate like leaning into like our authentic selves. Like even you look at digital wildcatters, right? Like they are pretty unapologetic, like as yeah. a whole company and just individually, you know, and it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not a harsh thing, right? It's, I love how unapologetic it is because it's like, that's how you find your true audience. Like the people that you want at your events, the people that you want buying your products. Like if you lean into that, the more you lean into that, the more you're going to find like those true people. And that's what I love to tell sales too. It's like, don't be afraid to lean into like your most authentic self. You'll find like, don't have a scarcity mindset that like, oh no, like, but they're expecting me to be like this. I won't be able to find like many like clients or customers that will, you know, I'll resonate with. That's a lie. Like you will. In fact, you'll find more. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. But that you're younger than me, right? So this is generational a little bit too. We were told to behave a certain way, to dress a certain way, to be buttoned up and to not challenge what the social norms were. And then this younger crew comes in and they don't care. You know, it's like, well, I'm just not doing that, which, and, and just questioning, well, why is it like that? And instead of just accepting, well, it is, that's just how it is. It's like, but it doesn't have to be. And, and it really takes like a, you know, somebody who can find their true authentic self to be able to do that. I want to talk about a specific use case that has really, really been impressive to me. So Stephen Hatcher, good buddy of mine, he was on this podcast relatively early on. We talked about all kinds of things from sobriety to his career to, to minerals guy. And to go back to sort of the root of this, Stephen came to me in like July or August. Wow, it's almost been a year. 
And he's like, I have this idea. I think there's a real opportunity. And with the knowledge that I have to create a brand around being the minerals guy for everybody to go to and sell their minerals to market their minerals to and gain knowledge around minerals. But I'm really worried that nobody is going to listen to this. What if nobody watches my content? What if nobody listens to it? And I remember really having to talk him back on, okay, so say 15 people listen to or watch each one of your posts. That's a success because that's 15 more people than were listening to the idea that was in your head that you'd been ruminating on for years. And then I introduced you and brought you into the fold. Talk to me a little bit about how you took what was in his head and helped create not only a logo, but a brand and videos and editing videos to the point where now he's getting massive inbound leads and traffic from his Facebook, from his TikTok, from Instagram, from LinkedIn, and really is the minerals guy. And it didn't even take a year. Like, how were you able to get in his head and turn what was in his head into a legitimately cool and rapidly growing brand? Yeah. So this was really, really fun. And I will say Steven is like gold star, like with his content, but I remember he is, but you know, for me, it's really simple. Like having a long conversation with Steven, like upfront and not being super formal about it, but just really digging into like, why is he doing this? Why is it so important? What does, like, what does he want? like as the outcome, not followers or ever, but what does he want? Like, what does he want for the people that actually engage with this? Um, and then kind of just like where his, like the authenticity, where is your like heart with this? Like, where is this passion coming from? Why are you doing this? What, what do you want to say to people and how do you want to be perceived? Who are you? Um, and having that conversation with him and kind of pulling that out and getting to know him um, is really how we wanted to make the brand, the minerals guy, right? Because Steven is the minerals guy. So I didn't yep. want them to be separate. I wanted it to feel like it was just an extension of who Steven is. So we kind of came up with branding for him. And then in terms of his videos, you know, talking about from a strategy perspective, filming content like in his office or in his truck, talking to people like you're having a FaceTime conversation, right? Yeah. And going through and explaining things. Um, but then being able to give me that footage and go in and, you know, when we edit, like I will pull stuff in, I will pull out things that he's saying and maybe pull up, you know, an infographic or, um, an icon or a word or whatever, and try to make them feel, um, similar to how you would consume any other content online, right. Or on social, and so it was really important for Steven and for me that we made the content so you could watch it on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok and have like a pretty similar experience with it and that it would feel conversational, most importantly, mm. because while the majority of his like audience, ideal audience is older, you know, probably 60s, you've got also the kids of those parents that are going to yeah. be looking at this, say like, mom and dad, you know, have mineral rights, like. I don't know the first thing about them, but they've got someone who is similar age as them, right? Talk similarly to them and they're on a social platform that they're on like TikTok, right? And so I think 
Stephen just being him from a script, but really preparing himself and going through naturally has made all the difference and being consistent, which is huge, right? Like it's so scary because you think, okay, I'm posting my first video. What if I only get like one like? And it's like, you can't get to the 40th video where you have like, you know, 500 watches and likes or whatever, if you don't post the first one. So really that first one is the hardest, but then also Steven was great at remembering this. Like everyone, for the most part, I feel like everyone wishes they could do what you're doing. They see you posting content. They see you posting videos and they're going to be supportive of it. And they're going to wish that they had something or they could be as, you know, confident or brave to post their content. So I don't like to think about it as people like judging or no one's watching it, but rather like people, your audience is waiting for this, right? They're out there, they're waiting and like now they're going to find you. But Steven is a great case study for being himself and then uh, making sure that he's consistent. That consistency, I think, has been really key. Like we have a series and in each series, there's three episodes and they go out on certain days. And I think making sure that people get used to that familiarity. Like when I get hooked on a podcast, like I will wait for that next episode. If they're a day late, like I might notice because I'm itching for it. And I think that's really important. You, you nailed it right there. And a lot of people, a lot, a handful of people, maybe two handfuls have come to me and been like, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. What advice do you have? How do I do it? And my response is, I don't know the stats on this, but it seems like a lot of podcasts do about 10 episodes and stop. And it's because you had that initial excitement and you have all these like grandiose high hopes of what you're going to get from doing the podcast. And guess what? After 10 episodes, it doesn't happen. And you start to say, you know, maybe my time could be invested better doing something else. Is this really worth it? Are we getting the effect that we thought we were going to get? And they stop. So what I always tell to people is, look, you just have to keep doing it. Like everybody, I think everybody, at least Tim and I did. uh, Once you start a podcast, you get to a point where you're like, I don't know, like we're investing a lot of time in this. What is our return? Because not everybody who listens to your podcast is reaching out to you saying, awesome podcast, dude. They're coming up to you and saying, wow, I listened to this episode. But you get enough of those things and you stay consistent enough that then you start talking to people and they're like, yeah, I know who you are. I've listened to like a hundred hours of you talking into a microphone on a podcast. You don't know who every single one of your listeners is. That's not eminently trackable right now. You have an idea, but it at least makes people feel some type of way about you and you need to be consistent. So yeah, one, get a good microphone, but there's no barrier to entry. The biggest barrier is in your head. You just have to get past that, like, oh my God, like, am I going to be accepted for this? Are people going to listen? Like, I don't care. I don't even look at the downloads. I used to pour over my initial podcast and sit on every word that I said and everything that Tim said. How do we react to it? How is my sound? And now I don't care. You know what I mean? If this content that I'm putting out can provide value for one person, for two people, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. And, and the fact that I'm consistent about it 
it transitioned from, oh, I gotta do a podcast. And on this journey, it turned into this is my one of my favorite hours of the week because it's one of the only times that I actually put my cell phone down and I'm not distracted by anything, unless of course my five-year-old son runs into my office, which he likes to do when I'm recording, of course. But you actually get to authentically focus on a conversation. And how often are you able to do that right now without the distraction of your phone or wanting to check your email? Maybe at a lunch, but even then your phone's kind of always right there. Like I'm listening to you and you're talking to me and you're listening to me. And that's rare now that, that this used to be how it is. And now it's not. So I think people do enjoy that of a non-distracted, diluted conversation where oh, I just got a text. I got to go. I got a meeting. I got to go. No. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, think there's so yeah, much I, value in that. There is. And I think about like the podcast that I listen to for the most part, it's just that it's like, you know, two people like having a conversation. Like I know I bring up call her daddy, but like she's literally sitting opposite of someone else and they're just having a conversation. Um, and so I think that we're really hungry for that. Right. And it's uninterrupted. And also, I mean, like we think too much about, well, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to promote it? Who's like, what's the outcome, all this stuff. But sometimes it's, it's really cool just to do something because you enjoy it. It's fun. You enjoy talking about that content and you think that other people will too. We don't have to complicate it. Um, and same with our setup. Like Steven used an iPhone, like the first few videos that yeah. we did, he had like an iPhone, his old iPhone. And it came out great. Like I encourage everyone to go and like follow him and look at his content, but I wouldn't let things like that be barriers, which we often do. We think we have to like get all this equipment. We have to have this huge plan for it. And sometimes the best stuff is just being like, let's just like try it, put it out there and like keep going and we'll, we'll learn and we'll, figure it out from here. Yeah. Yeah. You helped me a lot with that. Even just like, Oh, Hey, you're, I mean, at first you're like, great. Like any content's good because you want to be supportive of it. But eventually you're like, Hey, listen, like your lighting's kind of poor on this. So <laughs> maybe you should get a light ring or maybe you should do this outside <laughs> with the sun at this point. And then you yeah. start picking that stuff up and, and it gets better. And, and I always say that I said that to Steven too. I'm like, dude, you're going to look back on some of these initial recordings and you're going to be like, this was so bad, but you don't yeah. think that at the time, right? You just have to kind of do it and get through it. But if I listen to some of my yeah. early podcasts, like I had a lot of notes, it was like really scripted. I wasn't confident in what I was saying. I probably wasn't even reacting to what the person was saying. I just had a list of questions I wanted to get through, yeah. you know? Yeah. And eventually you find yes. your niche, right? You find your comfort zone and, and it becomes a more authentic, listenable conversation. I do have a question totally. for you to, to kind of go back a little bit earlier into your career. Like, why did you decide to go into marketing, branding, content creation, video? Like, what was it sort of about you that made you want to pursue this as a career? And so it kind of happened by accident. <laughs> I nice. didn't go to school for it. I went to school to study religion and philosophy. And then like wow. halfway through, it was like, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I loved it. I still do. And I loved like being a student of that. But then I was like, I don't know I'm going to make any money. I don't want to teach. <laughs> so then I started. <laughs> so um, I was like, I'll just do like communications. And 
So again, even then I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Um, but found myself like in a couple internships where I was doing like some graphic design and sort of learning about marketing and just really loved being creative. And again, like looking at, you know, a message and figuring out like, how can we make this better? Like, how can we like tell a better story here? Um, what are people going to enjoy looking at or watching or reading? And then found myself um, working for Dell in their brand department, which was really fun. So for all their like XPS and Alienware doing a lot of their 360 brand campaigns. And that's where I really learned because I was in a, it was literally a studio that you had to have a key card to get in. It had a full video studio, graphic designers, videographers, producers, And that's where I really learned. I was just immersed with highly creative people who had been doing this and had been doing it for tech products. And that was really, really fun. Um, And so that's where I've discovered, like, I love this. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't only love marketing, but I love the whole 360 view of it. I want to do video. I want to like the graphic design. I want to do the messaging, all of it, like social media And I find that there's a lot of marketers and sometimes we joke because people that hire marketing people kind of expect a unicorn, like you can do it all, right? Um, Which sometimes you can, you can do a little bit of everything, which is cool. And sometimes you're more like, I only do digital or whatever. But that's where I really found my love for it. And then after that, just kind of kept working and marketing um, and trying to bring that same level of, there was a lot of playfulness there. It was like brainstorming and filming video on the fly and things like that, that I thought really worked well. And I wanted to bring that to other places that I went because I thought, man, this is really fun and look what we created. And we just had this idea maybe a couple weeks ago. Um, Some companies are more receptive to that than others. Um, I find that smaller ones are. And so when I made my way to W after being in a SaaS company, I was like, I don't know anything about oil and gas, but I'm sure we can have some fun with it, you know? And we did. And I think that oil and gas should do that more often because I remember a lot of it was myth debunking for me. It just like blew my mind. Everything that I thought I knew about the industry and that it was sort of the big bad wolf just kind of like dissolved as I started to learn more meet people, talk to them. And I just became such a fan of the industry and I still root for it, even though I'm not in there, but I feel like, man, the playfulness and the conversational like way that digital wildcatters markets, I wish that that would seep into other oil and gas companies because I think oil and gas needs, like they need younger generations to come in and work and market and sell um, desperately. Uh, I feel like if that doesn't happen to me, it's pretty scary if that doesn't happen because those younger generations can tell such a better story than what's being told now. A hundred percent. And I don't know if you're on Twitter, but there's this like energy fin twit and there's a lot of anonymous accounts of people who work in the oil and gas industry, in the oil and gas venture world. And they don't want to put their names out there for good reason, but they oftentimes are just mocking the marketing and branding of these companies. It's like, come on, Chevron, 
Like yeah. you couldn't be any more creative than basically putting out the same ad that you put out 30 years ago. Like that doesn't resonate. Maybe it resonated yeah. with my dad or my grandfather, but like not me, you know? And in because yeah. it, there's a product that people want and need, the industry will survive. But now there's this very woke contingent that's like, well, it has to be cleaner, right? So some companies lean into that almost too much. And it's like, well, you know, you still are an emitter because by default, oil and gas companies will create emissions yeah. by pulling hydrocarbons out of the ground. Like that's, that's part of the reality. But it's a fine line, right? So I, I think that oil and gas companies think in general, well, the way we want to market now is like we are a green company. It's like, but you're not. Right. So you're, you're still not going to fool everybody, but it's sort of like that fine balance of like, we are this and we're staunch and we're going to defend ourselves at all, all costs versus like, we are someone who's an environmental company that cares so much about the planet. It's like, let, let's find like a balance here and be authentic in our, yeah. in our pitch and in our messaging. Maybe they should hire you. I don't know. Or Donnie Davis or somebody like that that can, that can help. Yeah. Um, like, you're like, what's that like educates people, right? Like I really didn't stop to think years ago, like what does green, what does clean really mean? What is actually clean versus which what's marketed as clean? Like whoever yeah. is marketing like clean green energy is doing a great job because half of it really yeah. isn't like clean or green, right? And so I'm like, on the flip side, oil and gas doesn't do a great job of marketing and really educating folks on like, you know, what is clean, what is green. And really, again, talking about the industry and the value of it and just the re like being realistic, right? Like we cannot be 100% like zero emissions. However, like let's talk about like what we can do, um, what's possible, why that's possible, like why the world needs, you know, the oil and gas industry. And I feel like that message hasn't been super clear until you actually embed yourself within the industry, which to me was the problem. Like I didn't know any of this until I started actually like talking to people that were in it. Yeah. The education piece where it's digestible versus like long form panels with very technical resources, I think is shifting and needs to shift more. And, and that's where it's like great to have somebody like a Chuck Yates up there who can Get yeah. as deep technically as you want, but can also just give it you the is. brass tacks so that any level of expertise can consume that material. And yeah. I think it's part of why people really enjoy him. He's the definition of of authentic. Yeah. And I know you've got some work he going is. on with him that we can't talk about yet, but but we will. And I'm excited for, for all of I that to come out. Love Chuck. Yeah, his podcast is also one that I listened to in like the very beginning of my time with W, because you told me you were like, I was like, how do I learn about the industry like really quick so I can start? <laughs> and you were like, listen to Chuck's podcast. So I go on and listen to his podcast and I really enjoy it because I, I learned a lot. He's not condescending. Now that I know Chuck, like you could walk up to Chuck and say, Chuck, you know, and you could ask him a very simplistic question about oil and gas. He would answer you in a way that is just so warm and conversational and then another thing is, is that he talks about like mental health. He talks about lifestyle. Yeah. And for me, that was so interesting because again, I had a couple different viewpoints into the industry and a lot of it was like, man, there's a lot of like, and I love good old boys, but there's like a lot of them, right? Like there's a, a certain persona and 
the fact that like Chuck openly talks about stuff like that and hit people are so receptive. It also gives you another viewpoint into the industry. Again, like people are people. They're multifaceted, right? You can have certain personas in marketing that you think, oh, this is the good old boy and this is someone who works on an oil rig, but people are complex and they have all different types of layers. And if you just speak to one, it's pretty insulting. Yeah. I mean, that man has an absolute heart of gold. Um, yeah. You know, opening up his house for the crawfish boil when it was still like somewhat COVID times back in 2021. Um, having me stay at his his house when Tim was going through his health issues, um, as well as for his funeral. I've stayed at Chuck's house you know, a half dozen times and just connecting with him as a person. Like I've got a ton of love and, and respect for that guy. And I think he's influenced a lot more people than he may even realize um, within the oil and gas space to feel comfortable in their own skin. And that's one of the things that I want to emulate and do as well. Um, final thought on some marketing stuff. So when I think about like the best commercials, because like commercials is like tr very traditional marketing. Some of the best ones that I've ever seen were more emotional. And it, if I think about like a Super Bowl ad from the Super Bowl, this would have been in February of 2010. It was a Google commercial and it was really simple. And it was basically, they were showing the Google search bar and somebody typing in keystrokes. And it went from like, where to go on a first date, right? Where nice. to buy an engagement ring, where, where to have a wedding, um, wh where's the best place for a honeymoon, how to assemble a crib. You know what I mean? Like I get yeah. almost emotional just thinking about it. It was so simple, but it was so well done. And I still remember yeah. it now, 13 years later. Do you have any things like that that stand out to you? I mean, of course, people remember like the GoDaddy commercial where it's like, you know, Playboy, you know, porn star type ladies scantily clad. Yeah. But I'm curious from you, like, is there anything that kind of stands out to you um, when you think back to like all of the amazing ads or commercials mm -hmm. or things that you've seen that like really resonate with you? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I will say like in terms of commercials, it's so interesting because I think that's also changed too because with streaming, right? Like you, For sure. you know, like you're probably going to see more commercials on or ads like on social, like when you're, when you're scrolling. Um, I will say that and this is going to sound super funny. There's a, there was a recent commercial and it was for Kerrygold butter, <laughs> but I loved it because again, it was emotional. Like this family, like they wake up at like 3 AM and like, why are they waking up? They're cooking a meal, like of course it's super early in the morning and they set it out on the dining table. And then the older brother comes home. He's like in his twenties and he's like, Oh, you waited for me. It was like his first day on the job as a chef or whatever. Um, but like the emotional ones, like really, I think still play so well, um, for, for every audience, but like, especially me, like I remember those a lot and it's just, it's a butter commercial, like whatever. So, but yeah. <laughs> I think that they, <laughs> like, I remember it, right. Like, and I remember like the label of the butter and everything like that. Um, but also too, another thing that has stuck out to me recently, not even just recently in the past few years is how the landscape of influencing has completely 
like taken over. And in terms of like ads and advertisements, like when I was a kid, I remember seeing commercials and then being like, mom, can we buy Pop-Tarts? Because I saw a commercial for Pop-Tarts, right? But yeah. now it's like you see stuff on like as I'm scrolling Instagram or people I follow and they're talking about something that they bought, right? And then you're like, oh, like she's my size. She looks like she's my age and like normal. And like that looks good on her. That might look good on me. So seeing more of some of that. Now, I think that influencing in some aspects is still a little bit like, wild, wild west, right? Like we're seeing a lot, but I think that in terms of commercials and advertising, I think influencing is really taking over, um, especially, especially certain demographics. Um, and with streaming, especially too, you just don't see, we don't have the same reactions to commercials that we used to. Um, and we can kind of pick and choose like the ads that we want to see. Like even on Instagram, I can say, I don't want to see this anymore. It's not relevant right. to me. Um, and I can select who I want to follow and they can influence me and they do like to buy certain products. So really influencing has been key and just in my own personal purchasing habits in the past five years. And we've also seen like they make a shit ton of money. Like if oh, you yeah. look at what it- Influencer can make, especially given their followers and their engagement, they can make a lot of money. Um, and so I think companies are pretty smart, especially like consumer brands, to partner with influencers versus putting dollars behind huge commercial ads. Yeah, it, it is a massive shift in the landscape, yeah. and and I think it will continue to to shift. Last question yes. before we sign off here, so. First of all, you were really supportive of me when I wanted to launch Funk Futures. That meant a lot to me. And in turn, when you evangelized the idea, like, maybe I should go off on my own, I really wanted to be supportive of you. Talk about your entrepreneurial journey, because I know you were thinking about this for a while, that because you are a quick learn and you're a marketer, you're a content creator, you're a brand curator, your best benefit is that you can work with a lot of different companies at the same time to give them value. Working with one company, sometimes it can get a little bit stale. Sometimes you've sort of done your job and then it's like, all right, now what? Talk to me a little bit about your journey from going from an employee to being effectively a marketing consultant. And how has that been for you? Are you happy that you made this move? Like, do you like this entrepreneurial outfit? Like, talk about some of the, maybe the the loves and the challenges that you've had in this process. Yeah, well, it's a, it was a very like personal journey for me. I mean, and to go back a little bit, I remember being like in my late 20s and thinking, okay, by the time I'm 30, I want to have this title and make this pay, right? And I got yep. there when I was 30. And then I kind of set another goal and then I got there. Um, and then I started to kind of look back and I was like, I actually don't care about that stuff. Like <laughs> I want to make, <laughs> I want to make a certain amount of money to be free, but I just, I want to spend time with my family. I want to have low stress. I want to have good health and I want to really enjoy what I do. Um, but outside of that, I was, I really, my value shifted from this sort of corporate ladder and wanting to have certain titles. It, it just kind of came crumbling down. And especially with COVID, even more so, I was like, man, like, what am I going to be doing in 10 years? Am I going to be at a corporation that 
I may not care that much about, you know, doing something that I'm not super happy doing, or I'm kind of bored doing, what do I really want my whole life to look like? Not just my work. And I, my now business partner reached out to me. And at the time I was like, no, I'm happy where I'm at. Like, I don't want to leave. And then we just kind of kept the conversation going. And I remember we had a specific conversation where he was like, you know, if, even if you don't come and like we work together, I think that you should work for yourself. Like you can do it. And it just sort of hit me differently because that's what I've said all my life. Like when I get older, I want to work for myself. And then I was getting older and I was like, well, when am I going to do that? When am I going to actually like take that leap? Right. How old am I going to be? So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And like, if I fail, I fail. I'm at a point in my career where I could, I'll find something and I'm just going to go for it. And I did. And it's the best decision I ever made, not just for like my work, but my life as a whole. I feel like physically and mentally like the healthiest that I've ever been, um, which I think that we don't like talk about enough when it comes to work. Like I've been in jobs before where I was wholly unhealthy. Um, and that to me now, if I could give anyone advice that's younger is like, do not let anything affect your health that way, you know, or cause you to make decisions that are detrimental to your mental health or even physical health, right? Um, protect that. And no job is worth your health. Um, and so I am super happy now. My business partner and I, we own um, Capital Raise Agency. Like I said, we help people raise capital and get investors. And what's super fun about it is I'm working with people that I truly love, like have best integrity, um, the best character that I truly value as people um, and respect. And then I get to work with a lot of different fun brands, boxable, electric cars. Um, We've done stuff for cannabis. We've done stuff for medical companies, entertainment production companies that run sound stages. So just a lot of different things, Um, real estate. And so you get to learn about a lot of different industries And then as a marketer and as a creative person, you never get bored because you're constantly like kind of going from one to one. So it's really, really fun. Yeah, it's really, really fun. I knew you would crush it because you're, you're versatile. And I think you're, I mean, what you can do in a short period of time a lot of people would pay a lot of money to a large agency to do. So you've been a godsend for me in my business when people say, hey, I really want to do this level of marketing. And I don't have that that expertise that you do. So bringing you into the fold has been awesome, whether it's for Zeno, whether it's for Minerals Guy. right? We And then certainly there will be more down the road. But But you do a great job of not only the content curation, um, it, you know, video, branding, logo, website, you name it. But if you do it well, which you do, it actually builds confidence from the team. People want to be connected yeah. and attached to the company and the brand that they work for. And I've learned a lot from you in that process. And one of the things I do really appreciate about you, Nicole, just on a personal note, is like we can talk business. But we can also talk for 45 minutes about mental health and feeling overworked and not exercising enough or making too much 
money and not having enough time, not making enough money and having too much time. Like all of those things I, I value in, in our relationship and, and certainly would highly recommend you to anybody who's listening to this podcast. If they're thinking about creating a brand, if they feel like they need a little bit of push on the marketing side. Um, and I knew you'd be busy. Like that, that was at first you're like, okay, well I'm going to do this. Now I need some customers. And then literally six weeks later, you're like, I can't take on any more projects. I'm like, well, I knew this was going to happen. You're so kind. Thank you. No, I remember I, I had lunch with Chuck, right when I kind of went on my own and he said a line that stuck with me. He was like, you know, if you want to eat, you got to hunt. And that's exactly how I would describe, especially like the early days, you know, of kind of going out on your own. Is it such a shift from like showing up to work and being like, all right, like, what do we have to do? This is not, you don't feel as much sort of ownership or accountability versus on your own. You're like, okay, like I need to go out and get people. But that being said, like so grateful for you, like that you believed in me. And I remember just feeling like, okay, like there's work, like there's not a scarcity of work. There's, I'm going to get clients. And and we did. So, so grateful for that because it is a little scary at first because you kind of oh. start out and you're like, okay, now what, <laughs> now what? But as you, get, as you get into it and you have a couple of nights where you're like, okay, what did I do? But yeah. it's a anything can be a roller coaster, right? And there's a risk with anything. And I can overthink things. And I remember thinking, well, there's a risk with like if I stayed at a certain company, like they could let me go tomorrow, right? Like yeah. they could shut down and you know, um, or I could do this and like I'm in that risk and I'm kind of more in charge or in control. So I think you just have to figure out like, what risk do you really, there's risk everywhere. Which one do you want? It's hard. It can be hard anywhere. Like choose your hard and, and choose what you really value. Like I valued, like, I want to like spend more time with my family. I want Mm -hmm. to focus like on my health and just feel less stress and more joy. And I knew that this would help give me that, which it did. Um, so I feel like if I could tell anyone that it's just like, think about what you want your whole life to be like and titles and everything can feel cool, but they really, I believe don't mean anything. (laughs) No, they they don't. And the, the most important title that you have is, is mom and wife and and all those things. And, and, you know, for me, it's husband and, and dad and son and and all that stuff. So that resonates with me big time. Okay. We're going to wrap this up. Nicole, you crushed this podcast. I knew you would um, crush everything you do. Where can people find you Uh, social or websites or any of that stuff? Yeah. So um, you can find me here on LinkedIn, Nicole Nixon. Um, And then you can also go to Capital Raise Agency. You can shoot me an email there. But if you message me on LinkedIn, I will message you back. And then we can can email or talk. Um, A friend of Jeremy's is a friend of mine. Nice. Well, thank you, Nicole. Appreciate everybody for listening. Hopefully there were some good nuggets here on What the Funk.